tonight, this story, this, this beautiful, incredible, um, you know, uh, iconic, favourite kids story, uh, and yet one that's got so much to talk to us uh, and will feel so fresh and so pertinent to our everyday lives and even rocking up to work tomorrow morning. Um, so let's, let's dig into it. Um, I'm going to give you the start. We are, we are in, uh, a, originally this was the Babylonian Empire felt like the setting for Daniel, but now the Babylonian Empire has been conquered. Uh, in fact, extra biblical sources give us some idea that um, after the Persians won a significant battle, uh, which Belshazzar from last week should have known about, they, they spent some time diverting the Euphrates River so that the water sort of travelled around the side, so that then uh, when Belshazzar should have been on war alert and ensuring the safety of the city, he's there drinking, and the, uh, the Persian army uh, allegedly wade through the river under the walls and capture the city without a fight. There's some archaeological dispute over all that evidence, but that's the story and it's fun. Um, and they take over the entire empire, a whole new regime in one single night, which means if you think about it for Daniel, a whole new ethnicity and culture in the leadership. You might, have, you might know the significance of this if you've ever been a part of a, a hostile takeover in a business and a whole new culture in the leadership. Uh, Daniel, though, in this kind, isn't just probably scared for his job. He's scared for his life. There's no guarantees when you change regime, is there? And yet, funnily enough, like clockwork, verse 2, Daniel is there and the satraps were made accountable to Daniel to one of these three, so that the king may not suffer loss. Daniel ends up one of the most powerful men in the kingdom again. Now, uh, you might know that the World Cup is going on at the moment. Uh, this is Granite Xhaka. He is uh, the captain of the Swiss national team and also plays for the team that I support, Arsenal. Just a coincidence, just a coincidence. Um, and this um, has been really, he's been a really interesting character in Arsenal's history because year after year, under manager after manager, he stayed at Arsenal and the fans have hated him. They have pilloried him. He, he literally got in trouble for making rude gestures at the fans of his own fans in his own stadium because they were harassing him, abusing him so badly. And he was the captain at the time. This guy was a controversial figure. And yet it was so weird. Manager after manager... He started every game. He got pounded in the media. He's not good enough for the club. They need to get rid of him. That's the position that they need to upgrade on. And year after year, every manager started him. Every game he was fit. It was interesting. In the end, Xhaka was proved right. Managers came and went. They got toppled. But Xhaka remained. And this season, he has actually been Arsenal's possibly best player and Arsenal are now top of the league. Xhaka was proved right. Kings came, kings went. Empires come, empires go. Politicians come, politicians go. Football managers come, football managers go. Trends come and trends go. But God and his servant Daniel were like Xhaka. They just were the... God and his servant Daniel were the constant in Babylon at this time. Interesting. Now, Daniel ends up being quite good at his job. You see, his job is to oversee the overseers. Essentially, um, I don't know what's going on with the screen now, it's all right. Essentially, Daniel is internal affairs, right? He, he is the equivalent to the new anti-corruption commission, okay? But with teeth, because he is, he's in charge. Like He's got full power over everyone in the empire. 
See, Darius wants to know that all of the satraps are all working for his interests and not, you know, working their own angles, little business on the side. And the thing is, Daniel is good at his job. He is very good at his job. And that is a problem if you, are a, if you are a corrupt satrap, right? If you're a corrupt official. They don't want Daniel sticking their nose into their affairs to find out what rackets they've got going on. So you see, this time, the attempt to get rid of Daniel is not jealousy, it's not power, it's not ego. This is, this, it's not personal, it's business. Like, they're trying, to, they're trying to protect their corrupt money streams. The corrupt cops plotting to bring down the Anti-Corruption Commission. It's a mob hit, okay? This has got good intrigue to it. Now, these guys want to do the hit right. So they do their research on Daniel. They're working hard. And to their surprise, and you could almost hear the like, what? But the, 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 the corrupt people not being able to believe that there was someone who was not corrupt out there, who was not like them. But he's actually clean, like proper clean. Like we can't get anything, we can't even fabricate anything on him clean. And it's only at that point that they actually end up turning to his religion. See, finally, these men say, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it's got something to do with the law of his God. They're not attacking Daniel for worshipping God. They're just using his worship of God as a way to attack him. And attacks against Christians or, or anyone can sometimes be like that. Even though it's aimed directly at the religion, the motivation might not be because of that you worship God. It might be because that's the weak point, the easiest mode of attack. And in this case, at least, the motivation comes from elsewhere. Now, so they set him up. Verse 6 and 7. They set him up. May King Darius live forever, they go to the king. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed. Have they? I'm not sure. In fact, it was only a small subset of them that were, the, were supposedly agreed early, and certainly Daniel hasn't, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And note the final clause. After buttering him up, the lawyers seal the deal with this one. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it can't be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. See, they know that this is sly. They know. And they know that the king trusts Daniel. So they're going to need some guarantee here. They're going to need some security that this plot doesn't turn back against them. And so they have got the most reliable thing that exists, the thing you can put your trust in, that's always going to stay the same, and that's the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And Daniel hears about the law. What do you think he does? He goes home, opens the window that faces Jerusalem. The city where he used to be able to go and meet God in person at the temple, looks out to that place where he used to be there with God, and he talks to his God three times a day. That's a strange way to say it, isn't it? Because it's in the, it's, this is actually in the, the process of the story. You think, did he mean to say three times that day he prayed to his God? Like that, that's, that's sort of what I would have expected as I was reading it through. It's, the grammar seems strange. But no, this isn't a report of a desperate man who prays three times that day trying to get God on his side because something bad is happening. You know, this isn't, God, I'm having a crisis and finally I'll go pray to you. As with every other area of his life, Daniel has integrity. 
and the, 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 even the grammar is deliberately phrased strangely to, to bring attention to that. You see, what you see on the outside with Daniel is what's going on on the inside with him. He always prays three times a day. The opening of the window wasn't a performance. It wasn't even like a big stuff you to the king or a stuff you to the satraps. It was, it was nothing performative about it. It's just what he did. It's just who he was. He always does it. He didn't stop talking to his God when people might have thought, oh, gee, there's a good guy, for fear that, they'd be pr- that he would be proud. And he didn't stop talking to his God when people would think, that guy's a dead man, because it actually might be the death of him. You see, he is thankful. See, there three times a day giving thanks to his God. In good times and bad, just as he had done before, he's thankful. He knows that God is the reason he survived king after king, regime after regime. And desperate times don't actually change Daniel's prayer life. Now, this is because he's a guy with a, a joined-up life. As um, Paul sort of beautifully opened up with us, this, this idea of integrity, this idea of being whole, of being one, of being joined up. There's a, um, a good book by a guy named Andrew Cameron. Uh, if you like if Christian books, I uh, recommend it. It's called The Joined-Up Life. It's his description of what it means to be a whole and healthy Christian is that all of the parts of your life are all connected, integrated, And with Daniel, his external actions are at one with his internal world. His body, his actions, down on his knees, matches his status in his heart where his soul has got a stance towards God of, I've got to be on my knees because you're the giver and I'm the recipient. His his worship life is joined up with his office life. They're one and the same. His behaviour at work, the character of his honesty, is joined up with the God who says, do not lie. He's got an integrity. They are all one. It actually makes his life kind of a lot easier as well because he's always the same guy. Now, this is, this is the moment where pastors are jerk and ask you a difficult question, and I ask you this not to put you into shame or freak out or despair, but for your godliness, for my godliness. If there was a ban on public prayer today, Parliament, Tasmanian Parliament brings out legislation to ban all forms of visible prayer, If your life just went on as it normally did, would you get arrested? If the law that Daniel fell foul of was legislated amongst us now in Hobart, would you have to change your habits in order to end up in court over it? Or you'd be fine because your faith is something that you only live on the inside, not on the outside. Look, if that's the case, I need to encourage you, that would be a problem. That would be a lack of integrity. And and now some of you I know know your Bibles and you're thinking, hold on, Pete, Jesus actually told us to pray in secret. Don't you remember that? But that that sentence, Jesus told us to pray in secret, I want to tell you is not true. It's not. You see, in Matthew 6, Jesus told a bunch of first century Jews to pray in secret. Why? Well, because in first century Jerusalem, praying in public, that's a way to boost your public image. And Jesus said, be real, have some integrity. Don't you use prayer as a means of gaining status and security and safety and popularity in your culture. Don't you dare treat God like that. And so in our lack of public prayer, 
doesn't match our inner convictions, we're actually being the same as the Pharisees because we're actually altering our prayer habits if we're scared of, what peop- of people maybe seeing them in order to facilitate our public image. Do you see how the spirit of that is the same as for the Pharisee in the religious culture praying publicly in long words to impress everyone and me making sure I don't say anything to make sure I'm not going to lose face with people? You see, we're not Jews in Jerusalem. That's not the culture we live in, is it? Like you go out praying on the street and people aren't going to be like, wow, what a good person. That's not what's going to happen. We're like Daniel. We're exiles in Babylon. Public prayer isn't for gaining honour in 2022 Hobart. It's just what people who love God on the inside will do, despite the weird looks that they get for it. Do you hear where this is coming from? We need to understand our Bibles wisely and well, not just know the words, but to know why those words are there and what the heart of the words was so that we know how to apply it wisely and well. Our life publicly should be the same as it is privately. Now, for some of us, the reason for the difference there is actually a different one. See, maybe for some of us, we don't pray publicly because that is a real reflection of our internal world. Because we actually don't trust God. We don't trust Jesus. We don't trust that he is the one who managers come, managers go, kingdoms come, kingdoms go, regimes come, regimes go, bosses come, bosses go, trends come, trends go, and yet God is the one who remains forever. Because we don't really know our God or trust our God because because we don't know how much he loves us. We struggle to feel that. We don't know how much we need him. And we don't remember that he is the one who enthrones and dethrones empires and how good it is to just simply, just, just even just to be with him in prayer. Some of us, there's a lack of integrity because the two are different, our internal prayer world and the way that we act in public. For others of us, maybe they match up, but it's not a great thing. This is, this is, a, this is a space to dig deep. We need to talk about this, whatever the reason for our prayerlessness is in public. All right, we're back into the story, back, back into Daniel. Now, the law-breaking officials, because that's what they are, enact stage two of their plan and report the law-abiding Daniel for law-breaking. You know, the air is like so thick with irony in this passage that you could cut a knife, cut it with a knife. And, and Darius knows it. This is not subtle. See, as they prosecute their case, they make it seem like their concern is for the safety and for the honour of the king. Uh, Verse 13, where are we? Um, Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is, he's one of the exiles from Judah. Remember how dubious a place he's from? He pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the degree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. But the king, you start to get a picture that he's a little bit savvy, even though having done something pretty dumb earlier, that he, he gets what's going on. He doesn't buy this for a second. You see, on hearing that Daniel's apparently ignoring him and dishonoring him, instantly he is greatly distressed and was determined to rescue Daniel. He knows he can trust Daniel, but he's trapped in a noose of his own making. Or rather, Daniel's trapped in a noose of his making. And so Darius, he thinks and he mulls and he can't go to sleep and he freaks out, and, but his hands are tied. Ironically, in a way, his hands are tied by his own integrity of a sort. 
he won't disobey his own laws. You've got to read this, read this and look for the ironies here. It's part of the storytelling. And so in the end, Darius gives up. He just gives up. He sends Daniel to the cave, to the den of lions, having caved in himself. And he does it, interestingly, he does it prayerfully. He's a strange cat, Darius. He's picked up something from this guy, Daniel. He does it prayerfully. He says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Stone gets placed. A seal put on it so no one can tamper with it. And the king wonders. He worries. Refuses entertainment. Refuses sleep. Because he knows he's wronged a righteous man. But he's hoping in the God who can save, even from his hand. And you see that even again in the morning. He proves it. Dawn breaks. He hasn't slept. And when he gets near the den, notice there, it's when you get near the den, before it's even open, he's yelling out, Hey, Daniel, did your God save you? Was he able to? And the relief that must have come over him when he heard that voice. Like he must have been feeling like a right jerk, like an awful human being. And the relief, the joy. And it's interesting, Daniel responds in the same words as the corrupt officials, but the irony again, it comes across different when he says it, doesn't it? May the king live forever. God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have, I ever, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Oh, yes, he was able to. In fact, it's almost weird. I've read this talk and then I look over it and I'm like, it's so weird how little I'm talking about God's ability to save him from the, from the lions then. But it's just become so passe throughout Daniel, God's complete and utter sovereignty over every situation. Now, what's interesting with these verse 21 and 22 that's on the screen for you is that this is strangely the first words that Daniel has spoken this whole chapter, this whole scenario. He hasn't been doing any speaking. And when he does, he says, yes, God saved me. And why? Because I've done nothing wrong to him or to you. But he hasn't been banging that drum earlier. He didn't beg and plead to the king. See, Daniel ends up vindicated, but the vindication is not what he's been seeking. He's not been putting all his energy into clearing his name, into getting people to think that he's a good guy. It was his actions that have been doing that speaking in the story. And God who will vindicate him at the end. See, Daniel has been investing in two things. Doing a good job, not excellence, character, and faithfulness, trustworthiness, the ability to do his job. Verse 4, he was neither corrupt nor negligent neither corrupt nor negligent and what an honor it would be for you and for me think about this what an honor it would be for you to be attacked for your faith for me to be attacked for my faith because our character and our application were above questioning imagine that our enemies who wanted to have a go at us couldn't have a go at us because of our character or because of our application in our tasks So they had to resort to attacking us over our faith. What an honour that would be, like Daniel. See, the thing is, his boss never needed to worry about whether or not he was doing the right thing. His job 
is so that his boss will never have to experience loss. His existence is the guarantee of his boss's security. I mean, how good would that be? If you imagine in your business dealings, let's say you're an owner of a business, you work in a business, something like that. Imagine you're, you're a client, client liaison, account manager, something like that. Imagine that if people could say that of us in the way we do business, that the guarantee that they'll be treated fairly in this transaction is because it's you they're transacting with. That we'd have that kind of integrity. I know it's going to be okay because it's you. And we don't get that by telling people that's the case. We get it, like Daniel, by living it. Now, at hearing, at hearing this, at hearing this, this um, that, that Daniel is there and that he, he he's calls out and says, look, this, this salvation is, is because I've not done anything wrong. Darius's face changes from anxiety to relief to joy. Daniel is lifted out and then his face changes again to rage. And the corrupt officials, along with their families, goodness, are thrown into the lion's den. But the lions don't spare them. It is brutal and it is quick. This man understands God somewhat, but also not in other ways. Now straight away, Darius then writes to the entire empire that everyone must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Now, this goes even further than Nebuchadnezzar's edicts. Did you notice that? He, he's not just praising this God, saying, look, he's great, he's awesome, he, he saves. He actually legislates worship. I th- have, a, hold on, have I got this one on the screen? I think I do have it for you. There you uh, sorry, don't have it. My apologies. Uh, verses 26. 26. In all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Not just praising him, but actually legislating, worshipping him. Now, Darius is an interesting cat, isn't he? Like, Daniel seems much more positively disposed towards him than Belshazzar before him. Uh, despite him having thrown him in a den of lions, like, that's, you know, the, the relationship can survive quite a bit. It's pretty robust. Um, and yet, Daniel's reaction to Bel- So, I guess that tells us Daniel's reaction to Belshazzar wasn't just because he's old and crabby. But yet, my question is, if, if, if Darius sent this out and his conversion was full, why didn't Persia or perhaps even the whole empire, become Yahweh worshippers? Why didn't they worship the God of Israel? I mean, the order was given. Law of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. Determines reality. Well, there's two reasons. One is, of course, because the law of the Medes and Persians doesn't determine reality. And also because you can't actually legislate heart change, can you? Like, you can't tell, I can tell my kids, hey, guys, do this. I can't make them want to do it. I've tried. It's really difficult. That's their choice. Because, see, legislation only changes external actions. It doesn't transform the heart. And so a legislated change might be helpful. It might stop bad things from happening. But it won't result in people with integrity. Because you can't change their insides to match Kings came, kings went, empires would come, empires would go. But the last words of the chapter, verse 28 there. So Daniel prospered 
during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Kings came, kings went. Daniel prospered. So what do we do? What does this do for us? How, how do we respond to, to living in the exile and to, and to the story of Daniel? Well, firstly, we follow Jesus publicly. Number one, we follow Jesus publicly. See, my question for myself, which is hard, so I don't like having to, having to sort of think about my inadequacy here, is do you have the courage to follow Jesus publicly now? Like, there's no legislation against following Jesus publicly now. You can pray in public. That's fine. When there's no jail time on the line, will you wear your Christianity publicly? Will you say to people, I trust Jesus openly? Not to, not, and I don't mean, will you go and be evangelistic? I'm just saying, will you be on the inside what you are on the outside? I'm just saying, you're going to live all the time letting people know who you really are in your guts. Not, nothing performative, just like Daniel, just... Be who you are. Because that's who you'd be anyway if those people weren't there. Follow Jesus publicly because that's what you are on the inside. Secondly, the only wise response to a sovereign God, to this God who we meet in Daniel, the living God who, who, who stays when empires come and go, is to put your trust in that God to save you. I mean... If there's anything we learn from Daniel, that's it. Put your trust in that God to save you. And what that means is prayer. That means prayer. That's what Daniel did. That's, that's active faith. Build, build your prayer life privately. So as I say, follow God publicly. The, the, the integrity's got to be there. Build your prayer life privately. Go to God. Invest in talking to Him. Make that part of your ritual. Make it your normal. Make God feel like your best friend, which He, which he is if, you, if you're connected with Jesus, through sheer familiarity of chatting to him all the time. Call him. You've got a friend who you feel like, i just got to pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. We need to cultivate a type of living where our public and our private match up. Right? We need to be real, whole, connected, integrated. And it starts here. See, the place to start pulling things together is here in relationship because we're going to be integrated together as individuals. And we, we talked about this at the start of the year. How do we grow and change? As we connect and integrate as a, as a church community, as we're more honest and real with each other about our sins, about where, we, about where we don't have integrity, and we work together on it. We're real. See, we need this genuine trust in Jesus where if no one's around, of course I'm talking to my God because, like, I just, he's my God. And if lots of people are around, well, of course I'm talking to my God because he's my God. And together here is where we build each other up in that. See, if, if someone asks you how your morning was, you could actually say, it was really nice. I woke up, spent some time praying for my friends, asking God to bless them. And not in a way that's performative, but because it's just true, it's what happened. So that the public is what the same as the internal is. And so here with us, this is where we begin doing it. Because we've said this a couple of times before, but if we can't have conversations where we're real about our spirituality, talking about what's really true of us here, where God talk and Jesus talk is, is, is supposed to be normal, it's supposed to be what we're here for, it's our time of the week to devote to it. If we can't have spiritual conversations here, how are we going to integrate? How? Let's do that. Find a friend at church tonight, be real, be raw with them, over a 
bit of soup or the, the, whatever other delicious food we got tonight, build that habit, build that muscle, and email me the next day tomorrow. Tell me how you slept. I suspect it'll be a lot better than Darius. It's good to be the real you with people. Last point, we're just about there. Because the, the difficulty for me then is that it feels like, what if I'm not like Daniel? Like, what if publicly and privately, or even both, in both ways, I don't have integrity within myself, maybe, or integrity connectedness with my God? See, this is where the authenticity is required. Not the authenticity of being true to myself and following my desires, but the authenticity of being honest about myself with God. And yet, the difficulty is, I, I'm not that. You see, it's like you sort of sit there and you look at, compare yourself to Daniel, you're like, ah, that's a high bar. This is tough. How am I meant to have integrity? Because it's almost, it, 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 you know, I, I get why Paul's made it his word for the last seven years because it, this is the thing, right? What happens when you don't have it? When you realize in little ways you don't? Well, this is what you do. You, first of all, you realize that even Darius didn't have integrity in this story. See, not really. See, see, Darius might have kept his word, right? He didn't disobey the law of the Medes and the Persians, but he condemned an innocent man to death. How do you do that? Through his own stupidity. And you think, what else could he have done? I'll tell you what he could have done. He could have walked into the lion's den. He could have said, this is my fault. I'm going to take responsibility for the situation. This is on me. I have the lives of human beings in the palm of my hand and I condemned an innocent man. He's not going to go to death. I am. God was once in a bind like this. He was. God once promised that he would punish sin. That he was going to make sure that people who do evil get what they deserve. He is not going to have an unjust world. He's going to refuse for people who abuse the vulnerable and hurt people who, who, who are innocent and, and, and vulnerable and powerless. He is not going to let them just do that and have justice and, and be laughed at in his world. I will not let evil go unfixed. But he's also promised that he will forgive the sins of the world and bring blessing to people. That I'm going to forgive sins and show love to many generations. How do, how's he going to do both? Like Darius, he's in a bind. What's he going to do? And this is, the, this is the, the glory of the early chapters of Romans. As you, as you read through it, this is what it's all about. It's actually not about us getting righteousness. It's about God proving that he is righteous. You see, what God did to demonstrate his righteousness, that he has integrity, that he can do all that he promised to do, was to die on a cross to walk into the lion's den himself, to substitute himself for you and for me. That's what the it there is. Jesus dying on a cross. To demonstrate that he is going to punish sin. There is not a sin left unpunished. Not a wrong that has not been poured out the wrath and righteous punishment of God on Christ at the cross. And it's because he has done that that he can also at the same time rightly justify, forgive anyone who puts their trust in that Jesus who bore their sin. He got creative. And he didn't rule out himself suffering for it. You see, God was in the fiery furnace. God entered the lion's den. He paid the price for our lack of integrity and in the process demonstrated his complete integrity. How good is Jesus? How good has he been to you in your lack of integrity, in mine? 
We're about to have communion where we will have integrity by confessing our sins. We've already done it once tonight, being real, getting ourselves in that zone. And we're going to throw ourselves on the mercy of the one who took our place in the lions then and who has clothed the, closed the mouths of the lions who want to point at our lack of integrity and take us down. And he simply will not let it happen. Each sin he's paid for, praise God. So we go to the God who says that his integrity will make us whole again. That's number three. We follow Jesus publicly. We seek Jesus privately. And we ask him to forgive us honestly. And that's how even broken people, ripped apart people, people who have lived double lives, can have integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we are sad about the fact that we have not We've got two or more faces. We're not, we're not one and whole. And Lord, that's got two problems. One, it messes us up and it messes up everyone else around us and it, and it makes life confusing and difficult and complex and there's problems. But, but also, it, it, we deserve punishment for it. Heavenly Father, help us to, to follow you publicly, to have what's on the inside come to the outside. Father, we pray that that would be what happens, that we would be seeking you privately so that what comes on the outside is not for show. It's just what we do anyway. Father, we just pray desperately for you to forgive us, that we would go to you honestly so that we can have a real integrity that says, no, I have been a hypocrite. I have been two-faced. And yet, because of Jesus, I honestly say that and can know that I will be forgiven. God, we thank you for your integrity, that you didn't sacrifice your justice, that you didn't sacrifice your mercy, but you were both at the cross. And we praise Jesus for this. In his name, amen.